Section 15 of The American Postal Service, Second Edition. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fred Abood. The American Postal Service, Second Edition, by Louis Smelius. Chapter 5 Miscellaneous Matters, Part 2. It is estimated that the cost of extending rural free delivery service throughout the entire country will be $100 million additional. This seems like a vast sum for one form of public service, but countrywide extension is also a vast proposition, and its benefits would be so immeasurably great if it could be accomplished that the nation might consider the money well spent for such a purpose. It may not be generally known that fully 80% of all civil service employees of the government are, in one way and another, connected with the Postal Service. This shows how vast and widely extended this service must be and how intimately connected with the public welfare. The objectionable use to which window delivery service in the cities of the country may be subjected has led to an active and vigorous campaign by the department to check the possibility of making this public accommodation a channel for unworthy purposes, and this active effort has, it is believed, been productive of great good in such direction. The danger to life and limb by service in postal cars, to which attention is called elsewhere, has led to increased effort to provide cars of all steel construction for better protection in this naturally hazardous service. One thousand of this pattern have within a recent period been added to those already in use and a liability law enacted for the relief of employees. The risks which must be taken in this service demand that the best possible protection that can be given should be afforded, that the dangers of the rail may be lessened to the least degree. The mails of the United States were first carried on steamboats from one post town to another in 1813, the government paying not over three cents for each letter and one cent for newspapers. Railroads were declared post routes by Act of Congress in July 1838, and the mails carried thereon. This administration is certainly doing all it can to save money in various directions. An opportunity was presented in the motors returned to the department for repair. These motors have been neglected in many instances through indifference or lack of mechanical knowledge on the part of postal employees. Each returned motor is now given careful examination by an expert electrician. And from the knowledge thus gained, additional instructions as to proper handling of this class of equipment will be sent out. The same is true of old canceling machines, which have lain idle for a number of years, but by the adoption of newly designed mechanical attachments, have been converted into serviceable equipment at a nominal cost. The increase in expenditure for rural delivery by periods was as follows. 1897, first year, fourteen thousand eight hundred forty dollars third year nineteen hundred 
increased to $420,433. In 1905, to $20,864,885. In 1910, to $36,914,769. And in 1916, to $51,715,616. Revision of the Rural Delivery Service to eliminate duplication, unnecessary retracing, and unjustifiable special facilities was conducted in 329 counties in 29 states during the fiscal year of 1916 at a reduction in cost of $1,359,162. This saving, with that made in readjustments in the fiscal year of 1915, made it possible to grant all applications for new service and extensions where the requirements have been met. It is estimated that the whole territory now covered by rural service with such necessary revision could be operated at a reduction in cost of $3,500,000. The commercial shortage in the paper industry is being to some extent remedied, at least so far as the Post Office Department can aid and assist by urging the cooperation of every employee in the conservation of the waste paper in all of the larger post offices of the country. Paper balling machines are now supplied to the postmasters for this purpose, which not only contributes to economy in use and adds to the visible supply, but is a matter of revenue as well, for what was formerly regarded as waste and destroyed is now made a matter of profit. The numberless curiosities gathered from unmailable and unreclaimed articles, which found their way into the dead letter office from time to time, together with the many articles of postal interest to those who delight in antiquities, the old mail coaches used in the West, the dog sleds used in the Alaskan service, the carriers in uniform of all nations, and the many features of interest too tedious to enumerate here, and which formed a variable collection of postal wonders and delighted thousands of people when gathered for display purposes on the first floor of the post office department, are now, in part at least, in the National Museum at Washington, and are well worthy a visit when people come to the capital city on a sightseeing tour. The period of greatest activity in extension and general progress of rural delivery was from 1900 to 1905, the appropriations running from $450,000 in 1900 to $21,116,000 in 1905. On February 1, 1902, the rural letter carriers were placed under the civil service by executive order. Salary increases in the rural delivery service have been as follows. August 1, 1897, $300. July 1st, 1898, $400. July 1st, 1900, $500. March 1st, 1902, $600. July 1st, 1904, 
July 1st, 1907, $900. July 1st, 1911, $1,000. September 30th, 1912, $1,100. July 1st, 1914, $1,200. Some Old Laws and Regulations Note in some old postal publications dating back to 1843 and 1857, a number of curious laws and regulations appear, which may be of interest to people who delight in antiquarian research. Where no date or act of Congress is mentioned in the paragraphs following, they refer to laws or regulations prior to 1843 or between that date and 1857. These items are published simply as indicating the peculiar views and opinions of the time, and are not to be taken as an official guide for the present day, for changes may have been made in some cases, amendments in others, some superseded by later enactment, and all more or less affected by later conditions and needs. No attention can therefore be given them except as phases of other days unless indeed existing laws and regulations make them, or some of them, still operative and in force, which may be determined by consulting the laws and regulations of today. To Senators and Members of Congress, the franking privilege was originally limited to two ounces in weight, excess to be paid for, Act of March 3, 1825. The sum of four cents was allowed for advertising each letter remaining unclaimed in a post office if published in more than one newspaper. Section 35, Act July 2, 1836. Act of 1825, Section 26, allowed but two cents for each letter, published three times. Newspaper publishers could have printed or written notice sent to subscribers stating the amount due on subscription, which shall be attached to paper, and the postmaster shall charge for such notice the same postage as for a newspaper. Act of 1825 No ship or vessel arriving at any port in the United States shall make entry or break bulk until the mails are delivered to the postmaster by the master of such ship or vessel. Penalty was $100. Act of 1825. Section 1, Act of March 2, 1847, permitted deputy postmasters whose compensation for last preceding year did not exceed $200 to send letters written by himself and to receive through the mail written communications addressed to himself in his private business, which shall not exceed one half ounce free of postage. Regulation 293 allowed every deputy postmaster to frank and receive free all his letters, public and private, subject to the half-ounce weight. This privilege did not extend to his wife or any other member of the family. Paid letters might be forwarded by private opportunity to places where no post offices were established. Postmasters were not allowed to give credit for postage. But if it was done, letters addressed to such persons on which postage was paid or tendered by him could not be detained. Act of August 31, 1852, 
allowed letters enclosed in stamped envelopes to be sent out of the mail. By joint resolution of February 20, 1845, the Postmaster General could make contracts with railroads for carrying the mail without advertising for bids, as was then the custom. The postmaster or one of his assistants was required, before office was swept or otherwise cleaned of rubbish, to collect and examine all waste paper in order to guard against possibility of loss of letters or mail matter by falling to the floor or mingling with waste paper. Observance of rule was strictly enjoined. Its violation constituted a grave offense. They were also admonished in mailing letters or packets to use all wrapping paper fit to be used again, and the sale of such paper was strictly forbidden. As late as 1843, postmasters were officially known as deputy postmasters, following the old custom from the beginning. If a newspaper began to arrive at the office in the course of the post office quarter, deputy postmasters should demand postage in advance of the subscriber up to the end of that quarter. At the end of a quarter, they might refund postage on so many of the newspapers as had not arrived during the quarter. Advance payment of postage was invariably demanded, and unless complied with, no papers should be delivered even though the postage was tendered on them singly. Act, 1825. Carriers were required to receive and convey a letter and the money for its postage when tendered, if delivered more than a mile from a post office, and to hand it with the money, if paid, into the first post office at which carrier arrived. A penalty of $50 attached on failure to do so. Act of 1825. Postmasters were forbidden to show any preference between one person and another in the arrival or delivery of mail by the unlawful detention of any letters, packages, pamphlet, or newspaper. A fine not exceeding $500 was the penalty, and the person was forever prohibited from serving as postmaster. Act of July 2nd, 1836. A ferryman who by willful neglect or refusal to transport mail across a ferry, thereby delaying the same, was to be fined $10 for every 10 minutes of such delay. Act of March 3, 1825. Letter carriers employed at such post offices as the Postmaster General may direct were allowed to collect two cents for each letter they delivered. For letters lodged at the post office by direction of the individual, the postmaster was to receive one cent, newspapers and pamphlets, one half cent, letters received by carrier for deposit in a post office, two cents, to be paid to the postmaster for a fund for compensation of carriers. This was known as the penny post and was in vogue until the day of free delivery. Section 38, Act of March 3, 1825, provided that any person confined in jail on any judgment in a civil case obtained in behalf of the Post Office Department, who makes affidavit that he has a claim against the General Post Office, not allowed by the Postmaster General, and shall specify such claim in the affidavit, 
that he could not be prepared for trial by lack of evidence, the court being satisfied in those respects, may be granted a continuance by the court until the next term, and the postmaster general authorized to have such party discharged from imprisonment if he has no property of any description, but such release shall not bar a subsequent execution against the property of the defendant. A postmaster was not allowed to receive free of postage or frank any letter or packet composed of or containing anything other than paper or money. Section 36, Act of July 2nd, 1836. According to the Postal Laws and Regulations of 1843, only a free white person could carry the mail, and any contractor who employed or permitted any other than a free white person to convey mail was subject to a penalty of $20. At post offices where the mail arrived between 9 o'clock at night and 5 in the morning, the postmaster was allowed a commission not to exceed 50% on the first $100 collected in any one quarter, Act of March 3, 1825, but the commission was afterwards increased to 70%, Act of June 22, 1854. No allowance on this account was, however, to be made unless accompanied by a certificate signed by postmaster upon a prescribed form. Post riders and other carriers of mail collecting way letters on which postage had been paid were allowed one cent each for such service by the postmaster when such letters were delivered at the post office. End of section 15.